Welcome to this episode of Portraits of Music. I'm Ross Sievertson. And I'm Clay Couturio, music director and conductor of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. It was an honor for Maestro Couturio and me to spend two days interviewing some of the symphony's most influential leaders, musicians, and supporters. In this episode, we have conversations with Linda Proach, violinist for the RSO, Anne and Chuck Eisman, longtime supporters of the Richardson Symphony Orchestra, and Ray Noah, former mayor of the city of Richardson and former board chair of the RSO. Our first guest today is a longtime musician of the orchestra, Linda Proach, who's been a violinist for how long is that, Linda? First of all, welcome. Thank you. Um, well, at least 40 years. Uh, I don't know exactly when my name started appearing in the program, but I know that I played in the 78-79 season at some point. So you're definitely one of the longest tenured musicians in the orchestra currently. Yes, but not the longest. <laughs> I think Jamie Hayden holds that record. Is that right, our principal bassist? And yes. uh, what other capacity? So you're assist- assistant concertmaster of the orchestra, of course, but what other roles have you played with the orchestra? Well, I was orchestra librarian for about 28 years. And, um, and so that was, uh, that was a, a very educational experience too. <laughs> but uh, I, I did enjoy that. The best part about being a librarian was that I got to meet everybody in the orchestra. Usually if you're just in, um, like in the string section, you, you meet the people around you. You right. don't necessarily meet all of the other musicians. And then you've also served, have served on the board for several years as a musician representative. So you've, you've really. Yeah, I've, I've done that for a number of years too. Yes, I guess I've done it all. <laughs> Are you a native of, of Richardson, Linda? Not Richardson. I grew up in, in North Dallas, but we've lived in Richardson our whole married life. So we've been in Richardson since uh, 1977. That's so true. I guess I, I guess I could say I'm, a, I'm definitely a Richardson person. <laughs> well, this is a hard question I'm going to ask because you've played so many concerts with the orchestra. But do you have a, a, a particular concert that's, that you remember the most or a favorite concert? This past season was really amazing. All of our concerts, and starting with the one in September of 2019, where we collaborated with UTD and uh, we had we played the planets yes. and we had a visual presentation behind us. That was just a, a wonderful experience all the way around. I really loved that very much. I did too. It was it was so many factors involved, and sometimes when we're doing more than what we normally do. In a way, people concentrate even more, and it really came across really well. But through the years, you know, um, I've gotten to work with all three conductors of the orchestra, and we started out at uh, Richardson High School and played there until 2002 when the Eisman opened. So I'd have to say um, at the high school, we had some wonderful, wonderful guest artists. We had, you know, Robert Merrill and Marilyn Horn and Roberta Peters, at various times from the Metropolitan Opera that worked with us. And, and they were so lovely. And we played with so many Van Cliburn winners and finalists of, of the Van Cliburn competition. Uh, they were just, um, uh, we, we had big audiences, of course. They brought in big audiences to, to hear these wonderful stars. Sure. So, yeah, they were great. Uh, but opening the Eisman Center... In September of 2002, that was another one that really stands out to me because 
which oh, we really were challenged. We, we played a very difficult concert. We did the Rachmaninoff Second Symphony on three rehearsals. Oh, my. <laughs> and the Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number 3 with John Nakamatsu. And, um, of course, the, the hall had not been tested yet. We didn't really understand the acoustics, and the lighting was still very not adequate, shall I say. We ended up playing with stand lights because the stage lighting was yet to be uh, perfected. So those things do stand out to me. Um, <laughs> then we had some some funny incidents, of course, funny things that happened. Uh, I know at least twice we did concerts with Peter Shickley, who is better known as PDQ Bach. Yes. And the first time he came, we were still at the high school, uh, and part of his uh, part of his act was to throw a rope over the side of the balcony and rappel down and come running down the aisle, breathless, <laughs> to to start the concert. So that was very memorable. I remember you telling me that story when we had our uh, sports pops concert uh, uh, just a while That's back, right. and we did a. a uh, Beethoven's fifth sports cast. And you mentioned that he had been, he, Peter Shickley had actually been uh, performed with the orchestra in the past. Yes. And for that one, also Brad Sham, who is the announcer for the Dallas Cowboys was our, our play by play guy. So that was cool. And you've been involved with some recordings with the, uh, with the orchestra. And uh, one in particular was a, a Christmas album. Is that right? Yeah, that was pretty much the, uh, the main one that we ever got to do, but it was uh, in January of 1995, we spent one afternoon, one long afternoon at uh, what was then the MCI headquarters um, in Richardson over there by Greenville and uh, Plano Road. And we we recorded our Christmas album, which I'm very proud of. I thought that it turned out quite well. We did a, a a lot of uh, Christmas carols uh, arranged by Carmen Dragon, yes. and we did some Nutcracker selections. So that that was amazing. It was a beautiful place to record too. And that was done all in one session or one day. Is that correct? It was done in about five hours. Yes, that's incredible. Yes. Before the Eisman Center, the orchestra would go annually for a while to to the Meyerson. Is that correct? Yes, yes. You know, the Meyerson opened up in uh, yeah, 1989. I forget what century I'm in. <laughs> 1989. And uh, at that point, Chris Zeros, who was our conductor, had become acquainted with Ross Perot. And some of us had uh, gotten to play for Ross Perot's daughter's engagement party. And so he um, casually mentioned to Chris Zeros, this is y'all need to come down and play at the, at the Meyerson, you know? And he said, well, <laughs> we would, but, uh, it's a, uh, it's pretty expensive to rent that place. And he <laughs> says, well, call, call my office on Monday morning. So he called up and the Perot foundation, uh, lent the RSO money to perform down there. And so, uh, we had to pay it back, but we did, and it was a, a wonderful concert. We we would perform down there, yeah, once a year. So we did a lot of Broadway uh, numbers down there. We performed with the Letterman a couple of times there. But I was going to say the the Meyerson opened, and 
the Dallas Symphony, of course, played their wonderful concert inside the Meyerson. And afterward, the big gala party afterward in, was in the lobby of the Meyerson, and we were the band. That's great. <laughs> so, pop stuff, and there was dancing, and it was fabulous for people watching, I'll tell you that. Well, you, like we've said, you were one of the longest tenured musicians, and I just want to tell you how much it's meant to me to because I've known you before I was music director of the orchestra and we've worked together in the past and it's just been great for me to work with you beforehand and and currently uh as as a conductor of the orchestra oh, you're really you. you're a really special person um to the orchestra oh. and, and um it's just an honor uh, <laughs> any other uh thoughts about the orchestra or the relationship you have with the orchestra what it's meant to you um well yes uh uh, it's it's interesting to me being in Richardson, and people will will say, strangers sometimes do come up to me and say, you know, don't you play in the orchestra? Well, yes, I do, but so they think they know me, but I don't know them. So it's it's interesting. People at church, in in particular, one thing that really really has been fabulous through the years is the outreach that we do. Um, We've done a lot of run-out concerts through the years. We've, we've played, for example, when Valley View Mall opened up, believe it or not, because now that's been completely demolished. Yes, but right. We played for that and, uh, and Richardson Square Mall. And we've played um, oh, many times at, at UTD. And we did our Flag Day concerts. Uh, with, but the most important outreach that we do every year, of course, is uh, – when we get to play for the third graders. Yes, the Symphony Days concerts, yes. Richardson School District and, um, and, and going to the schools to, to teach the kids a little bit about the orchestra and to play for them. They are so amazing and they love to hear about the music. They just, they adore the musician and want our autographs. What's great about that program, too, is, of course, the musicians will go out into the schools to to work with the students. Uh, but then the culmination of that is them coming to a full orchestra concert. And several of the musicians have always told me it feels like a rock concert because we <laughs> just as each musician comes on stage, they're just cheering and just screaming. And but as soon as the music starts, they're they're very attentive. It goes it quiets down and they listen. And, and um, the, the musicians on the stage really react towards that response. And it's that's even magnified more, and I think that's why the musicians love playing for these kids. It's uh, then magnified more than even at sometimes regular concerts where the adults are reacting, but in a different way. And the orchestra really feeds off that, I think. And I, I don't think you, you know, I don't think you have an appreciation, or you know, we often uh, don't have an appreciation for the impact that it makes on uh, on these young people and developing their passion for music. Wouldn't you agree, Linda? I would say, yes, absolutely. And it proves time and again that there is nothing comparable to live music, live performances. You can get all of these things digitally, and thank goodness for that with what we've been through this year. But but live performances and watching someone, a living, breathing person, making these sounds with their instruments is uh, – Something you you can't replicate that over a screen. Well, and live performance creates a, a true memory for a person, and and I really believe these concerts we do for these kids, it's it's a memory 
And later in life, if they decide to go to a concert, they, they fall back on that. Or if you've played an instrument before, you fall back on that memory and it, it inspires you to go to future concerts. And, and what seed are you planting that they then perhaps become a professional musician? Right, right. Well, we play for, for that purpose, but we play just whether it's they become a professional musician or, or a lover of music, whatever the reason. It's, that's really why we play. Yeah. I was going to mention a couple of other interesting things through the years that seem very incongruous to being a symphony musician. Uh, a lot of times we have the reputation of being real highbrow and, um, uh, you know, a little bit nose in the air kind of people. But really, we all have a pretty good sense of humor, right? <laughs> uh, uh, for example, sometimes you play gigs and you just wonder, how in the world did I get this this particular job? Uh, I was going to say, like, we uh, early on, we did a lot of run-out concerts, and I particularly remember playing down at the Great Hall of the Apparel Mart, which is another building that's been torn down, um, for a big corporate thing, and the guest star that we played for was Chubby Checker, <laughs> <laughs> remember him. Uh, another time we were rehearsing for um, uh, one of our outdoor concerts that we did, and uh, I got to sit on the first stand with my friend Nancy Missouri, who was playing concert master at the time, and one of the pieces we played was an arrangement of La Cucaracha, and at some point in the middle of it, it was a Carmen Dragon arrangement, there, there was a a violin duet for the two of us to play. And we were supposed to sound like a street band, you know? And so we get to that place and we're sight reading and Mr. Brusiloff looked right down at us, you know, to intimidate us and we nailed it. So he reaches into his pocket. He, all the while he doesn't stop conducting. He's still conducting, but he reaches into his pocket, grabs all of his loose change and a couple of dollar bills and throws them at us. <laughs> <laughs> You have to have fun while you're doing all this. It's hard work, so you, anything to, to have fun. And then he said under his breath, I want that back. <laughs> <laughs> now that sounds like a musician to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the time uh, talking with us, and uh, I'll see you hopefully the next time we have a rehearsal for a concert. Uh, hopefully I'll see you before then. <laughs> That's true. Even better, even better. Thank you so much, Linda. Have with us this afternoon Anne and Charles Eisman, longtime patrons of the symphony, and we're just just tickled to have you all uh, with us. Thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with us. Well, it's our pleasure. It is. Can you tell us a little bit about your history with the RSO? Yeah, uh, our son Brian was taking piano lessons from one of the best teachers ever and I think he started with her when he was eight and she, her name is Gina Cannon <clears throat> she got us started going to the symphony which I believe must have been in the early 80s or mid 80s and uh, it was in the high school auditorium I still have very fond memories of those days, those concerts. And here we are, all these years later. <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better. We've enjoyed every note. 
Well, and, and we've both enjoyed uh, symphonies and concerts over the years. So the RSO was a natural for us. Oh, yeah. Now, are you all originally from Richardson, from the North Texas area? No, Ann is one of the very few original Dallasites. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm an import from San Antonio. <laughs> well, we let him come in. <laughs> you have your passport. You're, you're allowed to come into Dallas. Uh, Chuck, let me ask you, uh, do you have a particular uh, work that the orchestra has performed that, that's very memorable to you or just a favorite memory? Well, I have, uh, I have both, actually. Uh, my favorite memory is the third Sounds of Freedom in about 1993 or four. Uh, I started the Sounds of Freedom concert series and our first one was in 1993, and I was kind of the producer for the first three. My my fondest memory is standing on the stage there, and uh, or near the stage, and watching the symphony play things like the national anthem and the the we we handed out each time thousands of small four by six flags, and uh, a few hundred of the larger ones. And as we played the national anthem. Uh, the Star Spangled Banner, they would stand up there in front or way out in the audience and waving these flags and having the best doggone time you could imagine. And that was a lot, a lot of fun. And the third Sounds of Freedom, we had 30,000 people on site by the police department's count and another 10,000 people off the site. And it was the second largest flag day celebration in the United States. It was a, a really a wonderful event. And where, where did those events take place? Well, we are, we are indebted to uh, MCI at the time uh, and its leader, Frank Gozell, who produced or who sponsored really on site. Uh, and, and they had a, a research headquarters over on Glenville. Oh, and sure. next to it was a very large patio, not patio, a very large field. And the field was a place where we could put fireworks and shoot them off safely. And we did. Every year we'd shoot off about $10,000 worth of fireworks. And uh, the, the first year, we had uh, only maybe 2,500 people there. And the second year, we had uh, five or 6,000. And the third year, I've already recounted. And um, it was a wonderful thing. And eventually, uh, kind of led into what has become the Wildflower Festival. The city had a small festival going at that time. Symphony was folded into it. And um, it was a, a wonderful event. If you think about it, you said over 30,000 people. That's that's the most I can think any orchestra really would play in front of. That's the most that those musicians will ever have played in front of. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And, and everybody was having fun. So you, you said – Flags were waving and – well, we were all having fun except when the rain threatened. We were crawling under the table. That can yeah, always happen. It wasn't too much fun. <laughs> but we had, had as our MC a weather forecaster from one of the channels in Dallas. Oh. And uh, uh, he would give us a minute-by-minute – uh, updates on the weather just to keep us safe. So uh, you had mentioned that's one of your favorite memories. How about a particular work or a concert? A particular concert was just last year. It was the uh, Celestial Celebration, and that little bit of the chorus at the end was a piece of magic. Yes. We were blessed to have as partners with that. Laurie brought in uh, UTD and uh, Dean Balsamo and Dick Benson, and uh, boy, they they knocked themselves out with the, the graphics that went with it, and uh, that was just one spectacular uh, event. It was a beautiful collaboration. Uh, tell us a little bit how that's, that's part of your initiative. Could you just speak to that a bit? Sure. 
um, in, in 2018, <clears throat> we, we did a, uh, an arts and innovation initiative where we encouraged all the arts groups in Richardson to uh, come forth with something creative and new and innovative, something that they'd aspired to but never done, uh, something that they couldn't afford to do, and um, something that was innovative and creative and encouraged them to partner with other arts groups around town and not just in Richardson, uh, anywhere around. Um, there were 27 that we offered it to, 17 took us up on it, and uh, the symphony was one of those 17. Uh, the symphony, we, we matched the city's arts grants for the year, and so the symphony, of course, has the largest chunk of that, and the the, uh, the symphony came through with something that was absolutely magnificent. And um, now I'm looking forward, by the way, uh, since I'm glad you asked, ha-ha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to um, 21, but mainly to 2022, which will be the 20th anniversary of the center. And I'm wondering what magic is going to be uh, brought forward by the city and by UTD and the Richardson Symphony uh, for that uh, event. Should be good. Well, the, stay in store because they're, we're already planning for things. Uh, I, I just wanted to tell you how much the concert last uh, September meant to me, too, the Celestial Celebration, which was as a result of, of your initiative. Part of what you were trying to do is get people to collaborate. And, of course, we did with ATEC at UTD and the Richardson Community Chorale, which you mentioned at the end of the, the performance of the Gustav Holst Planets. And what came of that is uh, continued collaboration. Uh, uh, our, our Pops concert for February is going to involve – uh, uh, ATEC at UTD again in a different format. So it's not going to be exactly like uh, the uh, Celestial Celebration, but uh, but something new. And so what I what I really appreciate what you've done is brought us together as a community. Well, that's great. That was the goal. Yes. You know, uh, organizations over time tend to operate nicely and primarily in their own little silo. And our, one of our goals was to get people out and talking to other people, get other groups involved, and uh, get uh, their players and their artists uh, involved in something new and, and innovative and fun. Well, you made us think outside the box, which I really liked. I, I, I remember sitting in the meeting with our committee thinking about what could possibly be done, and everybody brought up ideas, and they started being put together like a puzzle. It almost just came to together that way, and I, it was it was very creative. That's exactly the kind of innovation we were hoping to foster. Well, um, I, I'd really like to hear about your involvement with uh, the building of the Eisman Center. How did that <laughs> come about? Well, the uh, the center is a longtime dream, or was a longtime dream of, of the city and of all of the arts groups. And there was a proposal in the 80s to do something, but the city was too small, didn't have enough money, couldn't do anything, and it just kind of fizzled. And then in the uh, in the 90s, there was another effort. And then in the in the late 90s, a group of people, I was not involved with them, uh, our, our mayor uh, and city manager, Gary Slagle, and Bill Keffler, and uh, Ray Noah, who was on the DART board at the time, along with uh, Mr. Hammonds from the Hotel Corporation, Don Dillard from the Gallatin Park Corporation, and uh, George Brody from, from Nortel. Um, and I don't know whether they were all involved in that lunch, but most of them were. And uh, they put together a, kind of a, a dream of what, what they could do. And everybody committed to doing something and um, with their, their own little part. But if everybody did everything, then it could, it could happen. So the city drew some plans and had architects 
hired Bruce McPherson. Bruce went out to uh, New Mexico, I believe, and looked at a, a venue out there that the city had, had planned and said, nope, this isn't going to work. And so they came back throughout the plans. They started uh, anew and um, had a design and build uh, approach. And one day uh, I, I had just uh, divested both of my companies, my bank and also my consulting company. Mm -hmm. And Richardson's always been very nice to Ann and I and to our family. So we wanted to do something to give back. So we thought about, well, what could we do? We wanted it to be impactful. So Bruce was in a, a construction trailer. I'd never met Bruce. And I just walked in and said, hi, Bruce, I'm Chuck Eisman. Uh, tell me what's going on here. Well, he didn't know me and I didn't know him. <laughs> and But he sat down. He took about uh, 45 minutes. He unrolled the plans went through it all with me. And I said, well, Bruce, this is very impressive. I said, uh, how's your, how are you doing on your budget? And he said, oh, well, we're over budget. And I said, well, what are you going to do about that? He said, well, the city is going to come in and value engineer this project. Well, you know, to me, with my experience and background in business, value engineering has only one meaning. Right. It means you go in and you take out the really expensive, nice things, <laughs> and you put in crummy little old things that are, are there but not very effective and aren't especially pretty. And um, I said, really? Well, what are the top five things that, that they're going to value engineer? So he, he gave me a list of them. So I went away, and uh, Ann and I talked about it. And uh, we decided that we would make the city an, an offer that they could refuse. So I went to the city, and, and I said, look, you're, you're fixing to build this facility. We would like to be a part. And they said, well, we'd love to have you be a part. And I said, well, we'll give you some money, but we want to specify certain things in the in the construction. And I said, I, you're, you're playing to value engineer these five things. I said, one of our requirements is is that you are not permitted to re-engineer re those. <laughs> <laughs> And that included things like a $600,000 Winger orchestra shell, et cetera. Oh, yes. Right. And, uh, you know, absolutely essential elements for any kind of a quality hall. And the city thought about it, and the city council said, okay. And so that's where we are. It's been a terrific experience over the last 18 years. And it has become an icon for the city. It has. Uh, Richardson has become a mecca for the arts. And we've had arts groups perform there, not only the Richardson Symphony with all of their performances, but we've had the Plano Symphony. We've had the Beijing Opera. We've, we've had uh, groups from the, the Middle East who, you know, one, one day, one night we had a teenage group who was doing a 16th birthday celebration in the small uh, theater. Downstairs, we had a retirement party for a bunch of people, you know, younger than me. And in the uh, main hall, we had an Iranian rock group. Nobody could hear anybody else. It was terrific. And the main foyer, the Leftrich uh, Grand Foyer, which we were so blessed that Frank and Jerry sponsored that. Mm -hmm. The idea of having one open area for all three venues was that you get the mixture and you get the people from different ethnicities and different cultures and different art forms all socializing together in the lobby. And boy, has that worked out like a champ. I didn't think of that. Somebody else thought of that. But they, I think uh, Eureka Francesco, the architect, thought of that. But uh, that was a, a little stroke of genius. It's worked out pretty well. It really has. And let me just say, as music director of the orchestra, it's a pleasure to play in that hall. Um, I often tell the musicians they don't know how well they have it sometimes. And for us to be able to rehearse in the hall and perform is very meaningful. And let me just thank you, of course, for coming through with uh, uh, initiating or, or helping with building the center, but for for requiring them to set the right acoustics. Let me just say as a musician, that is often one of the things that gets cut. And and for you to to stand up for that, it, it truly, it, make, it made all the difference. So thank you so much. 
Well, it, it's our pleasure. We sit there and enjoy it every time we sit there. So <laughs> we're, we're getting that kind of instant payback. Well, Ann, I, I asked Chuck about this. I'll ask you the same thing. Uh, can you can you tell me a particular concert that's very memorable to you? Oh, my goodness. There are so many. The, the ones that just thrill your heart, you know, those. But I guess my favorite one would have to be in 2017. A Russian pianist, Alexander Matuskin, came. He he teaches at Manhattan School of Music now. Yes. And he came and played the Rachmaninoff Third Piano Concerto. Yes. And the, the whole audience just went wild and jumping up and down and all. And that's the most memorable one of the recent ones that, oh, my goodness, just thrilled me to death. I remember that. That was our opening night concert of that season. Yes. Yes, it was. And uh, oh, he had been a judge for the Young Artist Competition prior to that. that I think. No, or maybe it was after, after that. Yeah. Anyway, um, he's a wonderful performer, and I think he has 27 piano concertos under his belt. Some orchestra wants him to play whatever, and he'll go do it. <laughs> <laughs> he is a wonderful performer. You mentioned the competition, so that leads us really into the next thing I want to talk about, and that is the Ann and Charles Eisman International Young Artist Competition. How well, did you get involved with that? Well, the, the prior chairman of the competition asked me if I would like to volunteer uh, the day of the competition and beforehand. And I said, oh, yes. And I started uh, being in charge of hospitality at the Young Artist Competitions every year, mm-hmm. which meant getting people to bring food and drinks, things that the competitors could snack on because it is a long day. And I remember it was over at Richland College at the time for several years. And what I enjoyed the most was seeing, having the competitors all come in nervous. (laughs) And I would greet each one and make them feel comfortable and at home and show them around, show them the practice rooms and the other facilities where they would uh, meet with the accompanist and warm up and all that and then make sure they had plenty to eat if they needed something like that and just maneuvered them around the facility and tried to put them at ease because, well, our son had been in several competitions over the years and Mm -hmm. I know it's not only nerve-wracking for the competitors but for the parents. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, to try to put that, make them comfortable was great. And so I, I did that. I don't know for how many years, but it was very enjoyable. Got to hear some magnificent playing. Same time, it was strings and piano. And, and for a few years, it was voice also. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I just uh, have always been fond of trying to, to help with these competitions and put the competitors at ease. And then when the opportunity came along to sponsor the RSO, Young Artist Competition, oh, yes, let's try and do that. <laughs> and it's been such a pleasure. And, of course, it's held at UTD now. Yes. But uh, everybody who was working on the competition did a fantastic job. Thelma was just sensational, and she got some of the best judges she could have gotten in the country from t- some of the top music schools. 
and it's just been a joy. Yeah, Thelma Ball has done a, a wonderful job as as uh, chairing that for for several years, and uh, the the two of you have sponsored the uh, competition, I believe, for the last five years. This upcoming season will be the sixth year, I believe. And uh, tell me, do you have any uh, memories about any of those performers? Uh, any of the winners of those competitions stand out at all? Well, they've, they've all just been really terrific, and, and we enjoy the altering between the piano and the strings. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that the cello is one of my favorite instruments, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm happy that the cellist is – I think we've had two cellists who've won. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that, purely by coincidence. It is by coincidence. <laughs> Cello is my instrument too, but that's not why. That has nothing to do with it, really. I promise. Well, you don't get you don't get the vote, neither do I. So. There you go. <laughs> you don't get the vote, but we had some really good judges. Yeah, and I, I can't remember any specific ones. Uh, some of my favorites won, and some didn't. But they've all gone on. It's a very good experience for all the competitors. To um, to be judged by different people and get their opinions, and to, just to have the experience of performing like that. And they've gone on to conservatories and other music schools and done very well. And I'm just so pleased to to have this this competition for them, and it, it's helped them in so many ways. So I cannot think of the names of a couple of them. I'm trying to remember. I have to go scratch my brain a little bit further. So competitors come from all over to compete in the competition. Where are some like of the farthest that you've seen that you can recall maybe that have come uh, from abroad? Yeah, there have been some from Asia. And Europe. And Europe. Yes. So literally all over the world. That's Mm -hmm. just astounding. Amazing. It is. And uh, we We specifically wanted it to be the international young artist competition for that very reason. And the RSO patrons have been very generous in opening their homes for the competitors to have a place to stay for a few days while they're here for the competition. They feed them, they house them, and chauffeur them around, and it's just been wonderful. It's worked out very well. We're just so happy. You've both been involved for for so long with the orchestra. Are there any other relationships you'd like to discuss? Any any members of the orchestra or members of the board that you you had any dealings with that you'd like to mention? When we we did a fundraising event a couple of years ago, and uh, Linda Proch's father had uh, provided some funds to the symphony, which was really the catalyst to getting out of some agreements and paying off some debt uh, that needed to be uh, you know, accommodated. And based on that and really his initiative, uh, we were able to raise a significant amount of money. But I think we're always going to be indebted to the Proches for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And, and also uh, to uh, Ray Noah for what he's done. Ray has been a long stalwart of the symphony, was chairman of the board for a while. We, we just really appreciate all his contributions, as well as Frank and Jerry Leftwich. You know, the Leftwiches have been around a long time. They don't, you know, stand up and shout a lot, but boy, they are always there. They're friends and they're very terrific supporters. They know their music as well. We're really indebted to the Leftwiches. I feel exactly the same. In fact, uh, all the people you've mentioned, we, we have uh, talked to uh, for the podcast. And uh, it's it's interesting you say that because a lot of them uh, feel similarly about you as well. Well, we have a lot of people fooled. I think it goes without saying, uh, Ann and Chuck, that, that the contributions and, and, and not 
just financial contributions, but the specifically the support, your love for the arts uh, has left uh, a, a just an amazingly positive, indelible uh, impact on the young musicians, the orchestra, this organization, and the city of Richardson. Well, it's our it's our pleasure. Yes, definitely. Do you have anything else you would like to to share with us? I mean, it, I feel like we could talk for hours and and share stories. There's one footnote from the Sounds of Freedom, and that is, uh, I had suggested at the first concert to Angel, and he did this at every one that uh, he considered doing the 1812, which I noticed was some of the lead in music on your first podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said. That's a great idea. He said, but I, I want to do the choral version. And he did. And it was magic, especially with the with the cannons he brought in. <laughs> I'd gotten the idea because in the, you know, when I was in the Army, I went to Boston on, on a, I, I had a few days vacation before or after some assignment somewhere. Anyway, um, and down on the, I've forgotten what they call it now, but it, it's a, a big green area in Boston, the Commons. Down on the Commons, they performed the 1812 with real cannons. And it was absolutely spectacular. It made such an impression that I suggested that to Angel. And so we did it. We didn't have real cannons, but we had uh, simulated cannons with mm-hmm. uh, fireworks that sounded like a cannon. And in fact, they were, were very, very effective. And uh, uh, one time they were a little too effective <laughs> when we had to, uh, because of rain, move into the parking garage, Angel looks at me and says, <laughs> Chucky says, I don't do parking garages. <laughs> <laughs> but but he did it. And when those cannons went off, I thought, oh, my God, we're going to all be sued. <laughs> because they were definitely, I thought we'd blown out everyone's eardrums, including ours. But fortunately, fortunately, it all had come out okay. So, But uh, the 1812 is, is, you know, outdoors with cannons is, yes. is right. in fact, one of my favorites as well. What a great story. Maybe that's time pretty soon here. We should we should do something like that again. It's, that was a, a well, while back, and so maybe it's time again. It, it could be a great fundraiser uh, as well. Uh, the third year, we made a $75,000 profit. Wow. But not in the garage. <laughs> 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 well, guys, thank you uh, so much for taking time out of your afternoon to, to spend and chat with us. I know – uh, Maestro and myself appreciate it, getting to know you and uh, your impact on the city. And I know the listeners will appreciate the stories as well. And we look forward to your uh, continued contribution, love of the arts, and the impact that you make uh, on the RSO. Yes, really enjoy talking to you guys today very much. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. We very much appreciate it. And wish, of course, the symphony the, the very best of luck. And we're all coming back next year. Our next guest is... Ray Noah. Thank you, Mayor Noah, for being with us. You were the mayor of the city from 1968 to 1983, as I recall. That's correct. Yes. Ray, I was going to ask you, do you remember your first recollection of the Richardson Symphony? Oh, gosh. Cynthia and I had a connection with the symphony way back in the, we would go to it in the mid-60s. Uh, we had moved here in 1962 I was in law school at the time, and every once in a while, she would insist that we needed to go down and get some culture out of this. <laughs> and, uh, so we would go, and we attended several times when the symphony was on Greenville Avenue. And uh, then, of course, uh, it moved to the uh, Richardson High School. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really when we became more involved, plus the fact that I got out of law school, had more time for that kind of thing. So we were kind of involved in it at that point in time. Then it would increase. As the symphony got larger and more active, the town got bigger and, and more involved in the symphony uh, activity. And so there was more activity. And this town was very hungry for uh, culture and uh, the symphony and and I think they called them community concerts functioned essentially at the same time for a while and brought a, a, a good number of fine programs in. That's great. And um, how about any particular guest artists uh, during that time? Did, did you, any of them stand out? Oh, yeah. Two of them in particular for me. I don't remember which one came first, but I believe it was Chet Atkins came. And, of course, he uh, – electric guitarist and put on a, 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 a great program, very much appreciated. And then uh, a, a conductor by the name of Arthur Fiedler uh, was here and conducted. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was, I did not know that. I didn't. This is the first time hearing of this. That's great. In fact, he came uh, as a visitor to my, to my home afterward, along with a number of other people. And uh, he asked my uh, young son at the time uh, something about what kind of music would be interesting to him and he suggested that uh, Arthur Fiedler should have the orchestra play the Mission Impossible theme song. (laughs) (laughs) I bet he took that advice back and they did it at the Boston Pops at some point. I suspect they did. (laughs) They were personal people. I'm sure. I'm sure. The performances were really, really outstanding. And Ray, you were board chairman uh, years later, after uh, being mayor uh, in the in the mid to late nineties, is that correct? Board chairman of the uh, of the orchestra. That's true. And what was that like? Well, that was a kind of a turbulent time because really and truly we were having a wonderful time with uh, raising money, and uh, we had July the fourth, the uh, Sounds of Freedom performance, and uh, that was something that preceded the Wildflower Festival, and, and the industry com, uh, participated in it, and it was huge. And uh, the performance was uh, always an outstanding uh, performance of patriotic music and firecrackers and what have you. And uh, they would always play uh, the 1812 Overture, which, of course, had its cannon. Yes. Then after the uh, Sounds of Freedom, I'm sorry, the uh, Wildflower Festival uh, came into being, the symphony played one one evening performance uh, in the early renditions of the Wildflower. And that was kind of a replacement because it took over uh, a lot of the uh, interest of the business community and participation. And once upon a time, it rained pretty well during that thing. And the conductor and the symphony hibernated into the parking garage there, and uh, as did a number of the people who had come to hear it. They had people on all the floors, all the, the parking floors, and uh, the uh, conductor was trying to figure out what to do. And I said, well, just put on, just go ahead and put on your symphony. <laughs> well, he said, you got to be kidding, you know. Are you saying the show must go on? Yes. People. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was a, a tad, a, you know, think about it. One of these days you can ask you, when your grandkids will say, tell me about something interesting. You say, let me tell you about the time that I played the 1812 Overture in the parking garage. Oh, so are you telling me, so I hear you saying that, that, so there's this entire audience 
at what was the or what is the wildflower festival at the time and oh i don't know that the entire audience was in there but there were a lot of people in there and they 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 didn't frankly they didn't come for the performance they came to get out of the rain (laughs) (laughs) and they they performed the 1812 overture and did they have the cannons at the end they did and that was a devastating thing i mean it would probably destroy several eardrums. Oh my! <laughs> but they did it. They they played the whole thing and they got a rousing, a rousing ovation for for having done it. And uh, just like you, nobody could believe it ever happened, but it did. You had mentioned, uh, of course, Chet Atkins and Arthur Fiedler. I know Van Cliburn uh, performed with the orchestra. Did you ever meet him? Yes, I did. He was there, and he, you know. But you asked me which ones I like Van Cliver. Oh, sure. I enjoyed that performance, no question about it. And there was a special uh, gathering uh, to be around him after the uh, performance was over, too. But, that, you know, it's, that was just a time that the symphony was bringing in uh, programs and the community was, was participating and there'd be a full house for everything you did. Well, and, uh, what period of time was that, Mayor Noah? Oh, you're talking about the 90s. It wasn't a brief time. It was actually a pretty long time. It was in the 90s and 90s that uh, things were going really well. Performances were well attended. And, of course, they were in the process of building the Eisman Center. Up until then, they'd been playing in the uh, high school auditorium, which was not too bad. Then they moved over to the Eisman Center and Everything became a little more sophisticated, I guess. You might the performances were, were still every bit as good. Everybody was always excited about going to uh, to participate in that because they made a they made something out of them. And uh, some of the social events receptions that were along the way with the symphony, as well as the performances, were always just well attended. Everybody everybody enjoyed it. That's wonderful. Uh, is there a particular work? that the orchestra played or just in general any uh, from the classical repertoire that, that that moves you that you like well I guess you have to say I like all kinds of music mm-hmm. my mother was a pianist in her own right so when I grew up I grew up with all kinds of music so I don't really have a well I have some that I don't like but <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking I uh, I like uh, almost all the symphonic music. I like, uh, you know, I particularly like Chet Atkins' way of handling the guitar. He had quite a technique. It was a performance. And, of course, uh, the way they turned it around with the talent and the guest artists that were coming in, it was always something to thoroughly enjoy. I don't remember a bad performance, not really. And uh, as as a former mayor, w- Describe, in your opinion, the importance of having a symphony orchestra in a city. Well, it was so important that when we were talking to companies about coming here, we always said we had one. Beats the level of uh, contribution that we had in the way of of arts and culture in the community. And uh, they were uh, often at the time participants in donating money uh, to to keep the – you know, keep everything going like it should be. And, it, you know, we were proud of it. And uh, we we, uh, we mentioned it. And uh, the companies that came in, uh, and including the university, 
uh, we're all impressed with the caliber of this. This town has its own symphony. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. We're just coming here. And uh, then you really will believe it. And that's pretty much the way it was. Now, the symphony was at the time a hallmark for the city of Richardson. And- oh, it was. No question about it. And that people would, you know, they, we were bringing in uh, a lot of people into this community that came from uh, cultured backgrounds and, and communities, and they were looking for that kind of thing. Do you have any other fond memories or anything else that you would like to? Well, you just have a continuation of the respect for the symphony and the contribution that it's made to this community is many of, you know, most of which or a lot of which we've touched on today. But the fact that it's here, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a point of culture in this community that is continues to develop and to be a, a mainstream park performing in the, uh, Eisman Center is a, is a, certainly a different kind of thing, but it's much more sophisticated and, and much better sound than the high school. And uh, it's a different environment, and it is conducive, I think, to continuing the culture uh, in this area. And nobody, uh, no other community has been able to touch it in the class that it provides. Well, you certainly had a, a great role in uh, the success of the orchestra, 15 years as mayor, leading and a leader of the city, and another two or three years uh, as chairman of the board. Uh, so thank you very much for your contribution to the orchestra. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for the opportunity to visit with you on the subjects today. Mayor Noah, thank you for spending your afternoon with us, taking time out of your day. I know our audience or listeners appreciate it. It was such a pleasure to chat with Linda, Ann, Chuck, and Ray and hear about the symphony from a leader's perspective. In upcoming episodes, we talk with former Richardson City Councilwoman Jerry Leftwich, former RSO Board Chairman Frank Leftwich, violist Peggy Tucker, former Executive Director Bonnie Perry, former Board Members LaRuth and Richard Morrow, and so many others. I want to remind everyone that tickets are available at the Eisman Center Ticket Office and on their website at EismanCenter.com. Maestro, thank you. It's always great to chat with you. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Portraits and Music with Maestro Clay Cattorio. I'm your producer and co-host, Ross Sievertson. Remember, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes downloaded to you automatically. Reviews and ratings are always appreciated, and it helps us to provide you with more great inside conversations from the Richardson Symphony Orchestra. Until next time. <laughs>